Have you ever been called a name? I mean, sometimes in life we've been called different things, and most of them have not been pleasant. And, uh, and yet we all have a name that we adjust to and we, we identify with, don't we? And in the month of December, we've been talking about the various names of Jesus as we have found them in the Christmas story. In the very first, uh, first week, Casey came to us and he talked about Emmanuel, found in Matthew 1.23, just meaning God is with us. And that when Jesus came, God came to be with us in this life. And then uh, we talked the second week about Christ, how it means the anointed one, the same as Messiah, and that because we know that he is the anointed one, that Jesus is the one that can get us closer to God. Then last week we talked about Savior, and Savior just meaning that the Lord saves, that God is salvation, and we need to have that salvation. We certainly couldn't do without it. And then today we want to talk with you just for a few minutes about the name Jesus. Matthew 1.21, in the Scripture, the Bible says this, that the angel came to Joseph and showed himself to Joseph and said that your wife, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus, it, it should give us great response. It should give us the privilege of knowing someone in a very special way, and that that very one, Jesus, is the one that can give us salvation. That name, name just means the Lord saves. And the Lord will always save it when you go to him through Jesus. But that's not always the response we get to the name of Jesus, is it? In our culture, we often have people who respond in a negative fashion. For example, back in 2001 when Franklin Graham was asked to pray at the George W. Bush inauguration, he prayed at the end of his prayer. He said, we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now that wouldn't have given anybody any trouble a few decades ago. But boy, he caught a flurry of backlash from all over the place. People criticized him for using the name of Jesus. In fact, Alan Dershowitz, who is a Harvard Law professor, he said that Franklin's prayer at the inauguration excluded millions of citizens from its opening ceremony by dedicating it to a particular religious savior. To that I say, duh. <laughs> I mean, what other Savior is there except the name of Jesus? And then in 2009, Rick Warren, the pastor at Saddleback, who has been labeled a bigot and a homophobe from all kinds of people because he supported in California a prominent bill that supported marriage as defined in Scripture. He was asked to pray at Barack Obama's inauguration in 2009. The White House was criticized and Rick Warren was warned that he better not pray in the name of Jesus. So Warren said this at the end of his prayer, I humbly ask, that this, I humbly ask this in the name of the one who changed my life, Yeshua, Isa, Jesus, Jesus, who taught us to pray. He still was criticized. He still was ripped for even doing it. 
And yet people respond to that name of Jesus in all those ways. Erwin Lutzer, the pastor at Moody Church, says the world bristles at the thought that they need to humble themselves in the presence of this God-man who reminds us of the depth of our sin and the great need that we have for God's forgiveness and grace. Jesus has the audacity to claim that the eternal destiny of human beings depends on their relationship with Him. The natural mind rejects its teaching with a prideful smirk. And then Lutzer also wrote, the bottom line is this, as long as Jesus is a baby in a manger, or even a good teacher, we can treat Him like a book that we can take off a shelf, look at, and then put Him back on the shelf as we wish. But as Savior, as God, as Lord, He's not easily expendable. Hmm. And then, Billy Graham. When people willfully reject the Prince of Peace, they pay a terrible price. A secular and materialistic society that has rejected the Prince of Peace yields to pessimism and despair. The blighting cynicism that has come as a result of our rejection of God is reflected in our literature, in our art, in our films, in our television programs, and yes, even in some of our pulpits. Hmm, that's sad, isn't it? that we would reject the name of Jesus as a Savior of this world, even in some of the pulpits around the world today. So how do we respond? What do we do with the name of Jesus? I mean, each of us identify with our names, right? My legal name, Robert Frederick. Robert meaning peaceful. Robert meaning shining. And then Frederick meaning peaceful leader. I try to identify with those things, and all names have always identified in some way. But with the name of Jesus, some people reject that. Some people walk away from it. Some people don't want anything to do with it. And yet, this baby Jesus is our salvation. Roger Staubach, the Hall of Fame quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, in the 1970s was quoted as saying that spectacular achievements come from unspectacular preparation. Let me change that just for a minute, okay? A couple of words. I believe that because of Jesus, extraordinary achievements would come from a very ordinary event which happened in a very ordinary place. Thanks, Fred. We're, uh, we're excited to share uh, the pulpit on this Christmas Day. Uh, looking forward to uh, what next year uh, brings uh, with a transition, and I'm grateful for Fred's leadership here and the chance that he gets to continue to do that and we get to serve together. I'm just excited about uh, next year and what that brings. I, it's, it's amazing to me when we think about uh, the ordinary place that Jesus was born in. It was an ordinary place. You see, we have a problem. We have a problem this morning, and the problem is not in the text. The problem is that we've heard this Christmas story so many times that in order to make it interesting, we kind of shove it to one extreme or the other, don't we? You know, we do, we do one thing or another. Either we make it really shiny and clean and happy, you know, it, it, it's like the Hallmark store just threw up on the Christmas story. You know, there's glitter on everything. Everybody's shining. Joseph and Mary are shining. The baby Jesus is shining. The angel is shining. The stable is shining. The hay is shining. The donkey is shining. That's not in the text. The sheep is shining. Everything's shining. But the part of our brain that can tell we're being told a fairy tale ultimately rejects that. And so there's this temptation to swing the pendulum hard the other way and make this a frightful tale, right? 
We, we, we turn this into like a, a, a Wes Craven movie or something, you know? We, we, we make Joseph and Mary dirt poor. We make the innkeeper some mean, mean old codger that won't give this young couple a break, you know? We, we put Joseph and Mary in a cold, drafty cave out back, and we cover everything in a layer of dirt and poverty. And that's not really how the story goes. You see, we have this... The problem is, if you do your homework, you'll find out it was really very, very ordinary. It wasn't some happy, shiny fairy tale, but neither was it some tense, dramatic thriller. It was just a plain, ordinary, everyday birth if you would have been looking at it from the outside that night. Now, some extraordinary things happened. But it happened in a very ordinary place. St. Hilary of Potier, a 4th century bishop, said this, We dishonor him by ignoring the mystery of the humility which he assumed. So when, when you just slather this in glitter, I don't know that that honors Jesus. And when you slather it in dirt and poverty, I don't think that honors him either. If you want to honor Jesus this Christmas, understand just how ordinary this place was. It is a mystery why the God of the universe would descend this far. Do not dishonor him this Christmas by slathering it with glitter or slathering it with dirt. It's very ordinary. Now, I know that doesn't fit the fairy tale Hollywood image that a lot of us have been told since we were kids. We have this mental picture of Joseph and Mary riding a, a donkey or a camel or a golf cart in the movie, um, you know, late into the night across the desert, and, and uh, you know, you see it on the greeting card, and there's the star, and they're riding a camel across the desert, and even though Bethlehem's not really in the desert, but, you know, you see, it's the, that's the thing. They find out there's no room at the end, so they got to go around back and get the feed barn to have the baby. It's a complete fabrication, but it's old. It's been around a long time. It goes back to a, a, a second century work, early third century rather, called the Proto-Evangelium of James, and it includes all sorts of legendary stuff about Jesus' birth, and it's all bogus, but that's how old this story is. What do we know from the text? Well, we know it was very humble. It was very ordinary. Here's the thing. Joseph would not have had to search hard to find a place to stay in Bethlehem. See, we pick up the story, right, in, in chapter 1, verse 18. Yep. We, we start reading the story. What's in verse 1 through 17? It's Joseph's family tree. All he's got to do is walk into any town in Judea and quote that list. He has a place to stay that night. He's from the house and line of David. <laughs> So all he's got to do is walk in and, and, and do that. He's, he's automatically got a place to stay. In the Middle East, hospitality is a really big deal. So why was there no room in the inn, like Luke 2.7 tells us, or guest room? Well, let's do a little digging about this word inn. In Greek, there are two words for the word inn. The first one is a word that means literally all are welcome. All right, this was the word that's used in the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is where the Samaritan, or this is where the Samaritan takes the beat-up guy on the Jericho Road. He takes him to this kind of place. This, this word described kind of the, the, uh, the sketchy hotel at the edge of town. <laughs> that's, like, this is not a place, I'm a dad, right? I got six kids. One of them is, is real little. So we've, we've done the, the pregnancy thing like six times, you know? And um, this is not a place I would take my family. I would, I would camp on the side of the road before I would take Debbie and the kids to this place. That's one word. That's not the one that Matthew uses. It's not the one Luke uses. The other word is a room, is a word that literally means guest room. And in Luke 2.7, in the new edition of the NIV, that's how they translate it. Modern scholarship is so sure about this, it means guest room. Let me show you a couple pictures. 
All right, first of all, this is a, a, a modern recreation of a first century Jewish home. Do you know where you're standing? As you look at this picture, you're standing in this inner courtyard. The door on the left goes into the family quarters. The door on the left goes up to where they kind of had the, the main... You can see the door on the back up there. That's the guest room. That's the word that's used in Luke's passage. That, that was what was full. Where Joseph and Mary stayed to have Jesus is literally where you're standing as you look at this picture. Guys, I want you to show the next, and this is a top-down view. All right, here's, the, here's another picture. See how this works? In first century homes, when you go in, there's kind of this stable near the beginning, and then there's steps up, and there's the family living room, and then in the back, there's the guest room, this kataluma. That's the word that's used in Luke 2.7. So what's the point in all this? The point is, Jesus was born in an ordinary town, in an ordinary house. Yes, I said house. This is the word. There's no room in the, the kataluma, so they put him in the stable. It's, it's still in the house. It's very, very ordinary. And it was done with an ordinary name. Did you know that the name of Jesus was a very common name in those days? Jesus and Joshua basically were synonymous. They both meant the Lord saves. And, and so there were a lot of kids running around named Joshua and a lot of kids running around named Jesus. And yet God chose Jesus for his son. Now, the amazing thing about that is that when I was born and my parents had me, they got to choose my name, Robert Frederick. And uh, Frederick has been in the Rod Key line for many, 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 many years. We named our son Stephen Frederick so he could carry that name for years to come. And if he has a boy, I hope he names him Fred, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll carry that name, you know. But, but, but this, this couple, Mary and Joseph, they didn't get to choose the name. Now, if you look back at the lineage that Casey just mentioned, there's a lot of good names in there. They could have chosen Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesse, David, Boaz, Zadok. Well, maybe not that one, but you know, you know what I'm saying? They could have chosen a lot of names out of that lineage that would have been great names. But God said, no, you're going to name him Jesus. Because Jesus literally means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And that would be identifiable with the Savior of this world. And that ordinary name would become extraordinary because of what Jesus would do. And that ordinary name would become extraordinary because of who He was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an ordinary baby, was it? I mean, it looked like an ordinary baby. It looked like an ordinary, ordinary place to be born. It looked like an ordinary birth. But it was an extraordinary baby. An extraordinary person coming into the world. And I want you to know that because we can see this in Scripture, that when God chose the name Jesus, He chose it for a reason. Same way you should choose the name of your children for a reason. That they represent something in their lives. That they can follow through with something in their lives. They can identify with their name. And therefore, when you read this, that the angel said, she will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, God chose that for that very reason. And that's why in our minds we can say, yeah, it, it, it was an ordinary name given to an extraordinary baby who was born in an ordinary place that would allow us 
to live an extraordinary life. Yeah. And we do. We get to have an extraordinary life because of who Jesus was, because of the, the ordinary humility that he assumed. It was in the ordinary humility of Jesus' birth that the God of the universe poured all of who he was into this tiny, helpless baby. It's, it's in that ordinary humility that the eternal one, immortal and unbounded, stepped into space and time to live among us as one of us. And when we see the ordinary humility of Jesus' birth, it teaches us that God wants to transform the ordinary humility of our lives into something extraordinary, that when we, we can live our ordinary everyday lives in His purpose, in His power, with His presence in us. See, that's what we want to tell you this morning. There's this morning's big idea, that God put the most extraordinary person ever into the most ordinary circumstances to save us. Jesus means God saves. To save us in a most extraordinary way. Amen. So how does he do that? Well, he, he dwelled among us as now in th through the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. And it's because he came into this world in an ordinary way that we can live an extraordinary life. Someone once said that Christ was content with a manger when he was born so that we could have a mansion when we die. I love that. And I believe it. And I think it's true. But it's more than just the next life, isn't it? That Jesus is supposed to change us here. And now he's supposed to change our everyday ordinary life now, not just in some day by and by. So I think we can derive a couple principles from this idea that help us live the extraordinary lives that God wants us to have. Here's the first one. Number one, God may be doing a miracle in the midst of your ordinary. Mm -hmm. God may be doing a miracle in the midst of your ordinary. To an outside observer, somebody walking by the street that night by the house where Joseph and Mary were, to any outside observer, they would have heard that little baby cry, and it would have seemed completely ordinary. Now, they might have happened to glance up, wow, I haven't noticed that star before. <laughs> and if they would have hung around long enough, a group of shepherds would have came by. But to somebody walking by in the moment, it would have seemed really, really ordinary. Nor normal, ordinary, humble. And it's in the midst of those normal, ordinary, and humble circumstances that a profound miracle, the greatest miracle that's ever happened, happened that night in Bethlehem. God was born as a man. Now we know from the rest of the story that creation couldn't be contained. The stars shone, the angels sang, the shepherds came, but at first it looked very, very ordinary. It was in a plain house, in a plain town. Mm -hmm. My point is this. You never know what God may be doing in the middle of your ordinary. That's right. He could be working a miracle in the middle of your ordinary. <laughs> so live each day in the power and presence of God. This Christmas, do not be confused. The ordinary may be God's way of saving the world. God may be doing an unseen miracle as you go about your ordinary day. Sometimes, though, sometimes you get to participate. That's the second idea, that God wants you to do ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Right. This is about experiencing the power of God as you go about your day and realizing that you are the, the representative of the power and presence of God everywhere you go, and yes, even on Christmas Day. I got to, I got to see this recently at Wendy's. I was having lunch at Wendy's. A lady came in. She was all kind of distraught. She said, uh, does, does anyone in here drive a Burgundy Ford? Guy goes, uh, I do. 
was kind of halfway through his lunch. And she said, I'm so sorry, I hid it. He calmly got up, left his cheeseburger there on the table, walked out the door. I'm kind of walking out too at that time. And she's explaining all the stuff. She's digging in her purse for his insurance card. He walks over to his car, and, and, and they're just kind of talking. And by this point, I'm walking real slow so I can hear the rest of the story. <laughs> I love people. Um, and and uh, he looks at the bumper, and he goes, uh, don't worry. I don't, it, listen, the car's old. It's paid for. I doubt Jesus cares about his bumper. Merry Christmas. Her, her mouth was literally hanging open. Are you serious? Yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. Well, well, well thanks, mister. Merry Christmas. <laughs> he walked back inside to finish his cheeseburger. Now, a skeptic might hear that and go, well, he's just a nice guy. Yeah. You know, maybe. Maybe. <clears throat> or maybe, because of what he said, that guy understands something about Christmas. He understands that God wants us to do ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Yes. Maybe that guy understands that when our pride and selfishness melt away in the ordinary humility of Jesus' birth, that we have power from God to do ordinary things in extraordinary ways. That's right. And if Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would come and be born as a baby, then listen, 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 nothing is beneath you. That's right. See, our challenge for you today is to make this Christmas a day of decision. Let this mark the day that you begin to live your life. Ordinary as it is, in the most extraordinary way, resolve in your mind today, this Christmas day, to live differently. If you have a decision that you would like to make today, maybe to be baptized, to recommit your life to Jesus, at the conclusion of our service, Fred and I are going to be right down here. We'd love to talk to you when we're all done. But as we have spent four weeks now talking about the name of Jesus, I can't think of another way I want to respond than to sing about the name of Jesus. So let's, let's stand together and sing today. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. You hid in glory in creation, now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus, 
is to hear our voices lifting up that truth. But Lord, we want it to be one that we claim and we take that ordinary name and we apply it to our lives. God, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My heart is full today. We, we uh, normally our littlest one gets us up, but today we went into his room and woke him up. Wake up, buddy, it's Christmas. Come on. <laughs> He's not real stable on his feet yet. So he got up, tried to stand in his crib, boom, went right back down. <laughs> and it's those ordinary moments that I think God transforms and he, he, he gives us joy and he ministers to our hearts. Do you know that's what he did in communion? The Jesus is having the Passover supper with his disciples on the night he's betrayed. And, I mean, there are all sorts of special foods they're supposed to have. There's bitter herbs. There's the Passover lamb. There's special cups of things and all this stuff that they're supposed to have. And you know what Jesus takes on that special night? Do you know what he takes and, and uses to be part of our institution of the Lord's Supper? Bread. Wine. They had those things at every meal. Jesus, at the Last Supper, took the ordinary stuff and he changed it. God at Christmas took something ordinary and he changed it. So when we celebrate communion today, I just want you to be thinking about these very ordinary elements, bread, juice, that God took and he changed. And we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in our place for our sins and his resurrection and that one day, maybe, just maybe, it'll be a Christmas day when he comes to get us and take us home. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that. In just a second after I pray, the servers are going to come and pass the emblems. If you're a Christian, we, we practice open communion. We invite you to partake of these uh, when you're ready. Take the bread and the juice and partake whenever you're ready. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We can only do that because you loved us first. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this world, for being born in ordinary humility, God, but allowing us to, to experience something extraordinary, your salvation. You save us, Jesus. And we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.